0: Or listening to Just Asking. Why do we human beings who are obviously so sexual have such a difficult time talking about managing this intimate part of our lives? We talk about managing our money, we manage our careers, our diets, and even our stock portfolios. Yet, when it comes right down to it, we really don't know how to talk about managing our sexuality and certainly don't know how to talk about doing it intelligently.
1: Hi, this is Stephen Ng and I'm talking with my friend Jackie about... A number of topics, including, oh, yeah, sexuality. It's pretty much sexuality all day, every day here at M-Word. What are we talking about today, Jackie?
0: So I've been thinking about how we all have this um, list of requirements um, when choosing somebody who we would like to date. And you actually wrote a very interesting blog about this as well. Um, You know, I remember when I was in high school, my list might say something like, he has to have a job and has to have a car, right?
1: You would have said that back in high school? That's, yeah. like, really smart.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm a planner.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking he just had to be cute and he just had to be playing the drums or something, in a band.
0: Right. Um, but now it's something, it might be something like um, he needs to be nice to waiters. Mm-hmm. Or he can't smoke or something, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. And obviously he has to have a job in a car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Some um, things never changed.
0: Yeah, so I guess my question to you, but I also have friends who have... Um, things on their list that, that, and I've told them that make me kind of laugh. And I'm sure I have these two, you know, it has to be six foot two or taller, has to have a PhD, has to, you know, be a certain ethnicity. Um, you know, so I guess I want to talk to you about our requirements and obviously some of these matter.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I hear the tentative note in your voice and, uh, but I have a story first to tell you. So, um, my first marriage was unpleasantly uh, a failure, and I tried to learn everything I could so that I wouldn't repeat any of the mistakes. I tried to really delve into that marriage and examine it and, and do what I ca- would now call a, an intensive debriefing, you know, like what, what went wrong. And one of the lessons that I came away with was, oh, well, I, I'm a real outdoorsy kind of guy, and I really need... Uh, a woman who will be willing to recreate with me outdoors because my former wife and I had no such connection in that way. And uh, that was a guiding principle for a while until I met the woman who later became my wife. My current wife and I have been together 22 years and (laughs) she she doesn't go outdoors any farther than the extension cord for her blow dryer. So, she would never, for example, go for a long hike in a park or even a, a certainly not for an overnight backpacking trip. And the reason I share that story is because I made the decision to partner up with her based on the realization that she was so wonderful. She brought so much to the table of the relationship that I had never dreamed could be that wonderful. And so my, my list became really obsolete in the face of being open-minded to taking a look at someone I normally wouldn't have considered. So there's a double-edged sword. We wanna know what we want and what we need, but at the same time, we don't wanna be so closed-minded that we miss a really wonderful human being who could be a great partner in life And and, and, but oh, but he doesn't have a car instead, he takes uh, Uber everywhere. Or,
0: and I guess that's that one actually is becoming kind of obsolete the car thing because that's yeah, less relevant.
1: And if you lived in New York City where public transportation is readily available, I can imagine that a lot of wonderful candidates won't have cars, right? And uh, plenty of other cities around the country. So, the whole you know, for me living out in the West, the idea that. And, and, and frankly, my, my clients have, have emphasized these three criteria. She has to have a career, not a McJob, but an actual career. Uh, she has to have a car, and she has to have a residence. And by residence, uh, we clarify she has to have her own residence, not living with her dad or in the apartment that her dad pays for and the reason we include car out here in the west is because it's so far from one place to the next and because public transportation still isn't really adequate the idea that she might not have a car is more or less an indicator not of undesirability but that maybe it's premature to think of her as a potential partner because she's still a dependent she's still dependent on her father For her housing, or for her income, or for her transportation, and what we all want, I think starting off with is someone who's a genuine adult, not just adult on the outside, not just you know somebody who's reasonably aged, but somebody who's a true adult on the inside, because we're all aware of those individuals who could be thirty years old, forty years old, and on the inside they're about thirteen, and so knowing somebody who's an adult, those are just the initial markers. And among my clients, it runs about 80% of my clients say, boy, if I thought of that, I wouldn't have been with my last marriage.
0: Which, which right? Which brings us back to the,
1: the, intentional, the, interview. the intentional
0: interview. Um, when you first start dating somebody, when you're doing the intentional interview, there are specific things that you are looking for in this conversation, right? Or it wouldn't be intentional Um, and there's certain red flags you're looking for
1: yeah that's a term i use a lot and and for a lot of my clients they mishear me because the word intentional isn't part of their working vocabulary and what they hear me say is initial and they confuse this with this is what you talk about on a first date right and and when i ask uh, a group of guys working together uh, on this topic and i say how long is the intentional interview supposed to last I've had people say with a commanding tone of authority, three months, which is something I've never said in my life. And other people will say six months equally authoritatively. But the the correct answer is really, why would it ever end? Because sometimes, and I have had clients who've been happily married for seven years, and then their spouse starts drinking and they stop having sex, their life is miserable, I ask them how much longer their marriage lasts and they look at me and say 38 more years now to me that would be a breakdown (laughs) thinking that the intentional interview stopped back in the day and that i'm now stuck with my choice i think marriage or partnership of any kind by any other name is always an elective procedure i get to back out of this we're not talking about our blood relatives like our children or our parents, I do get to back out of a marriage that isn't anymore what I need it to be. And I can tell you what's at the top of my list, if you're interested. Yeah, and
0: I want to go back to the list, because there are obviously some things that are important.
1: Well, I think a lot of people who've been burned in their first or second relationships, and I've talked to men and women this way, they want to throw out physicality as a uh, as an item on the list. And I think that's a real mistake, because at least for men whose hydraulic system is heavily dependent on being aroused, if I don't find her attractive, then sort of what's the point? Why would I be with this woman if I'm not going to find her attractive? And I think a lot of men feel sheepish or or even embarrassed by any kind of provision given to their sexuality. But I think for men particularly, it's a really important thing. And I think less so with women because... Typically, I mean, at least among my clients, I've asked my clients to look in the mirror and come back and let me know if they think they're adorable or cute or beautiful. And so far, none of the guys have except, you know, just joking-wise. So physicality starts. But
0: but can I change maybe the the verbiage on that? Sure. Um, Because, and I I think, like, we would say somebody I find attractive. I need to be attracted to them, right? Right. But that's different than a man saying she has to be 120 pounds. (laughs) Have at least a B cup, long hair, you know, and because honestly, you never know. Like I have been attracted to people who totally not my type. Yes. So if I had physically described them, I would have been wrong.
1: And I can't agree more emphatically. So you never know when two people are going to have chemistry, and you might a man might say, "Well, I just I only like it when women have long hair," and then his very next girlfriend. Is a woman with really short hair. They get married. They have three kids, and they live happily ever after. Right. So those are kind of silly. As long as um, I can I can look somebody square in the eye and admit, Oh gosh, I find I find them very attractive. I find this person very attractive. I think that's important. Uh, and then after that, then ne- I think people would be surprised at the next thing I say. But at the top of my list would be: Is this person safe to be around? And part of that is a much larger uh, discussion topic than maybe we have time for today, but it's, it's about abuse, because most people, when they think of abuse, they stereotypically think it's a man who is doing the abusing, and they also think that abuse is something that's physical. But most marriages that end, end because of verbal abuse, not physical abuse, and verbal abuse even even of the most uh, mild sort can be very injurious to the intimacy a close relationship requires in order to be successful. So um, if I say something to my, my lover and she rolls her eyes and in disgust uses a condescending tone of voice, I would say that's abuse. Now, a lot of people tell me I'm too hardcore about that. But I think that anything less than respect is, by definition, abuse. So if it's the tone of voice and the look I would never give my boss or customer at my job, then why would I use that on the person I say I love the most in the whole world?
0: Well, and then this one goes back to, I guess, um, one of mine, which is that they need to be nice to waiters um, or people who they feel are in a position beneath them. Because here's the thing, when you first start dating somebody and they're super into you, they're not going to treat you like that, right? But you can tell by the way they treat other people that they treat people like that.
1: You know, uh, that, is, that is a great observation, and I, I would include how they, how they talk about people who aren't in the room, that sort of thing. I mean, it's one thing for me to admit to you that I, I hate somebody in my family or I still have uh, a deep and abiding resentment against, against an ex. That's really different from being abusive. Abuse is is mistreating another, and that's separate from having passionate feelings of disgust or distaste for someone. I can I can have those passionate feelings of disliking someone, and be very uh, passionate in my in my uh, describing those feelings to you without ever being abusive to anybody. So, yeah, the other thing I'd add besides how they you know what you observe with treating staff in a restaurant. For me, it's time because most of us are on our our best behavior for the first 120 days of any relationship. And you would not believe how many people I meet who admit to me that their last three marriages, they met her, they, they fell in love, they got engaged in the first month or two or three, and they got married before month four. And then, uh, as that old French saying, he who marries in haste repents at his leisure. I think that applies because that's not doing your due diligence. You know, we can all kind of put on the show for a few weeks and we do. I mean, that's, that's sort of natural human nature. I, I want this person to like me. Uh, I want to be on my best behavior. I don't want to give any reason for them to reject me. And, and so I, I am putting out there, um, maybe a little bit more than who I really am when I'm utterly relaxed. But with time, uh, we all start losing uh, those veneers with each other. You know, the old saying is familiarity breeds contempt. I'd like to think that familiarity at least could breed some level of safety where I can relax and begin to see the other person for who they really are. And they can see me for who I really am. And then the question, you know, because I'm not always neat and tidy. I mean, maybe the first time I invited her over to my place, I really made a point of cleaning everything. But the, by the 10th time she comes over, I didn't bother to vacuum that day. Right. And so we get more comfortable with each other. But this thing of safety, this, this issue of safety doesn't, it's not a small thing because if we're not able to safely share space together and be under the same roof in a safe way, Why on earth would we ever be in a relationship together? And and safety for me then is, is asking myself the question, am I comfortable telling her anything? Am I comfortable telling her anything about me? Now, I know in year number one of a great relationship, there's gonna be a different answer than in year number 20 of a great relationship because we all become more comfortable with ourselves and we start disclosing more, but I can tell you that it's almost universal in in therapy that I'll be in a group of men and some guy will make a disclosure and I'll ask, is this the kind of thing you're comfortable and able to tell your spouse or your girlfriend? And 95% of the time, the answer is, Oh God, no, I would never tell her that. If I told her that she would cut me. (laughs) If I told her that she would divorce me immediately. And they're really, the kind of disclosures that are being made are not big deals. They're not, we're not talking about criminal events. We're not talking about gross violations of common morality. We're just talking about private thoughts and historic fantasy events. Yeah, a fantasy or a historic event or uh, something like that. And, and if we're not safe with each other, then I can't let her know who I am. And she's not going to feel safe letting me know who she is.
0: Okay, so number 1, they need to be an adult. Number <laughs> yes. 2, there needs to be physical attraction. And number 3, you need to be safe with
1: this person. That's what I like about you, Jackie. You're so organized. Right? Yes. Told you have a plan. Well, yeah, and but I, you know, in the num- number of minutes it takes to talk about these topics, it genuinely takes a lot more time to assess whether or not somebody really is Say let's say safe, or if somebody really is an adult, because there are a lot of men out there with a high-paying job and a lot of money, perhaps in comparison with the woman they're dating. But and you never see him at his at his worst. But um, then you get really close to the guy, and you realize, oh, he has uh, temper tantrums like a little kid, or you get on his bad side, and and he punishes you for days after that, and. That's the sort of non-adult behavior that I'm talking about.
0: Right. So there's overlap there, too, because it's...
1: Well, yes, it's, with a, with abuse and, yeah. and feeling safe versus is he an adult and is he acting like an adult. So one of the other things, uh, number, I guess is we're up to number four. Four. Yeah. What I, and this is going to be a lot of these. I notice now that I'm talking to you that these are not static, but they're very active, dynamic. Uh, Variables in the life of uh, any of us. I know that we're really trying hard to get along, she and I, and we're really trying hard to put the best foot forward. However, conflict is an essential and inevitable part of every intimate relationship. And two people, no matter how much in love they may be, are eventually going to get so close to one another if they stay together that it becomes inevitable that they that the one will step on the other's toes. There's going to be conflict. It is inevitable. But it's also essential in the sense that if we can handle conflict in a way that's health-giving, that, that, that breeds more intimacy, then we're going to get even closer after a conflict than we were before. Conflicts are things that keep us apart. And so even if she never speaks up That doesn't mean that we're not held apart by the conflict. She might never mention how much it bugs her, um, the, the way that I eat in public, and that she feels embarrassed, and that it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable, or the way I treat her son when the three of us get together. She might never mention anything like that, but that doesn't mean it's not affecting her. And if it's affecting her because we're on the same team, it's going to be affecting me as well.
0: So we are going to talk about um, healthy conflict on another podcast because this is a big, huge topic. Huge topic. So um, it's not that I'm hurrying
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 okay, but I need to say this before before you shush me, <laughs> and, and and that is, I I want to look for someone who's two, who has two t- traits. Number one, she has to be strong enough courageous enough to be willing to confront me, right. but also to have enough savoir faire to be able to confront me in an abuse-free manner. Right? She can't just say, hey, you really acted like a jerk back there. What the hell? You're out of line. And, and to be able to say stuff like that, you know, to confront me in a way that's non-abusive, like, I really have a problem with what you did back there. We need to talk about this. And
0: doing that privately, not chastising you in front of your
1: friends and I mean, respect things. Or while I'm on air getting interviewed. (laughs) I am not abusing you
0: right
1: now. No, right. I don't. um, I, I think that it's good to have privacy, but I also would say that for those couples that are really advanced, and we'll talk some more about this on the next podcast, arguing in front of children is the last thing they should avoid. I think it's, if you're able to argue in an abuse-free manner, You're demonstrating to your young children how to resolve conflict in a way that really is going to build more intimacy, and that's a good thing. I can't tell you how many clients I've had who say, oh, my mom and dad, they never fought in front of us. And I'd say, well, how did you end up in my office? Because I'd have no idea how to fight with my wife.
0: Here's what I'm wondering. If we have something on our list, say that um, he has to have a PhD, um... And you meet this wonderful man who doesn't have a PhD. So maybe what I'm asking is, how can you look at what's on your list and figure out what you really mean? Yes. Right? And so, like, yes. one of the things I suggested to my friend who has that on her list, like, what I changed... I used to have the head of a college degree until I realized that so many of the people I know don't have college degrees. And they're incredibly intelligent. And so many people who do are have never learned anything since graduating from college.
1: Right. So, so like, would you still date Bill Gates even if he was a college dropout?
0: Right. So what I changed mine to is that he needs to be intellectually curious, Mm -hmm. which means that I want someone who continues to learn and doesn't think that they already know everything.
1: I think, uh, you know, here's here's the way I look at it. I think the list, again, needs to be more dynamic rather than static. And instead of putting on a uh, putting out a list uh, in my brain of everything I want about the other person, I need to stop and consider what do I need in order to be fulfilled and satisfied. So for me, uh, a woman who wasn't of a certain educational level, whatever that is, whether it's uh, college educated or self-taught, um, whether it's a master's degree, a bachelor's degree, or a PhD, I need to have somebody who has a certain level of education because otherwise I'm going to feel intellectually lonely in that relationship if I can't talk. And that's what I mean by functionality. I really don't care. I mean, if I, if I met a wonderful woman who was intellectually uh, lively and willing to engage intellectually? That's probably going to be enough for me and satisfy me at that level. Although, right along with that, is a certain level of education because it's not enough to be to have a lot of firepower under the hood if you don't know, for example, um, where is Iraq or what is Europe. You know, you have to have some knowledge. So we want to be able to have some common education. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who's a hopeless dinosaur when it comes to music. And when it comes to pop knowledge, I, I know virtually nothing about pop music. Whereas my wife knows a lot more. And uh, she's, she's okay with that. I don't need to know everything that she knows. And she doesn't need to know everything that I know. But when we talk about life... The meaning of life. Why are we here? What are we doing? How are we going to live our lives? I want to have somebody who's going to engage in those conversations, don't you?
0: Well, absolutely. And, and when you said, um, what is Europe? Uh, <laughs> so, so one of the things on my list, and this is, again, what I need for me, is I need to travel. And I want to travel a lot, a lot more than I, I already have. And so when I talk to somebody, which I have in a, in a relationship, who says to me, I don't ever want to travel any place they don't speak English. Yikes. Right?
1: Right. That would be tough.
0: That's a significant, um, that's a red flag. and
1: It could be a, a deal breaker for you. And I, I have to ask, though, could this also be like my thoughts on recreation and backpacking? Because what if he was a really nice, he was a perfect companion, perfect partner in every other way. And he was not controlling and he was totally fine with you traveling, you traveling with friends, you traveling with family. Uh, he just didn't want to go to Botswana. You know, he just didn't feel, he just wasn't into it. He wasn't feeling it. And, or, or, or some other place where English wasn't being, wasn't spoken. I, I just think, you know, I hesitate to make rules for myself that are static. It's just that you haven't, like for you, for example, You have a need to travel. And I get that. And you want to be able to share that with someone. I don't know that your partner, if he's perfect in every other way, would need to be that person necessarily. There are universal deal breakers that make it really clear I'm never going to, no one is ever going to have a great relationship with this person. No one. Because he or she has a problem with alcohol or problem with drugs, and until they resolve that, they're not going to be safe for anybody, they're not going to be intimate with anybody, because they're not really even in the room 50% of the time. Their body's in the room, but their mind is way in another dimension. Another thing that would be a a universal deal breaker, I believe, is of course the abuse, anyone who's into abuse at any level. But there are personal deal breakers that I, I have to admit are kind of humbling. each of us to embrace because we all have our little foibles and traits and uh, peculiarities and for example i know i need a certain level of neatness and tidiness in my life or i just don't feel comfortable and on a scale of one to ten i know i'm not a ten if ten is the cleanest neatest person out there but if if i'm an eight Is it going to work if I'm with a really great woman who's perfect in every other way, but she's a two and she just is really at that other end? Now, there is no truth to that old saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. I get that. And I don't need to judge her, but I do need to be humble about what I can handle. And, And for me, that would be something that would really jinx it.
0: So being a seven on your scale, I can tell you that too. No.
1: <laughs> right. It would be tr- it would be tedious. It
0: would be tedious, and, and part of the issue is that you would be picking up after them all the time to maintain your, your place. Like like for example, my son, um, my son's room is disgusting. <laughs> well, he's and a
1: teenager. He's a teenage
0: boy, and I was talking to my ex husband about this, and he said, "You know what, Jackie? How is he in the rest of the house?" And I said, he's neat in the rest of the house. He keeps things picked up. He keeps things neat. And he goes, then let him have his space. That's his space. And I went, okay. You know, as long as the dishes and, you know, garbage and things like that. So you just
1: shut the door. I just
0: shut the door. And and that's our, our compromise on this is that as long as the rest of the house, and obviously with a romantic partner, that's a different deal because you're yeah. sharing, you know, a bedroom.
1: Absolutely it's a different deal because they're in all your space all the time. and it's Right you know and, and so I, but i say that not because i'm proud of that you know like i'm a seven or an eight i'm i'm saying i'm admitting it with some chagrin and i hope our listeners are li- are really getting this part because what it means is that although god may be all loving i am not right. and or or that i may really love someone i may fall deeply in love but i can't live with them you know like i I could love and adore a cute little Chihuahua, but I know I couldn't live with the Chihuahua because I'm not careful enough where I walk, I'd step on him or I'd hurt him, and in the same way, uh, I don't want to pick up after a St. Bernard. So I can't live with every dog I love, and I can't live with every woman I love, so I need to be humble, truly humble about what my own limitations are. And there are other examples just like that in the neatness category. and. Uh, but, but I want to give you another exception to that whole neatness thing because it's about functionality. So if if I got together with my, my old flame, Katy Perry, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, she has millions of dollars now and she can afford hired help. And if we had hired help walking around behind her, picking up everything she dropped, it wouldn't matter to me if she was a one or a two because the house would still be neat as a pin.
0: So, so on the subject of numbers, yes. um, and you've, you've talked about this before, affection levels, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how affection, aff- affectionate are you and how much public affection do you want? Um, this would be, I would think, another deal breaker.
1: Well, it absolutely would because, and again, I'm an 8 on that scale, but there's nothing morally superior about being an 8 over, say, somebody who's more of an average 5 or somebody who's at the other end of the spectrum like a 2 or a 3. That there's, this is not a moral issue, and it certainly doesn't have anything to do with love. It has to do with compatibility, but but even more with my own limits on on how how much I can really tolerate, and still maintain a loving relationship. So I, I've been I thought I was a ten, but the difference between a seven or an eight, which I think is where I am, and a true ten, is enormous. And uh, having dated a ten and gone through uh, some really uncomfortable experiences, I can, I can tell the world now I am definitely not a 10 and I'm cool with that, but I, I'm not going to be comfortable. I could be comfortable with somebody who's a six, a seven or an eight, maybe, maybe even a nine, but there's enough difference. I think, uh, between me and a 10 that I, I couldn't do that. Now, somebody who's a six might find me a little too much because perhaps I'm, I'm too affectionate. And Oh, another thing to note about that. When you're talking to therapists, or arguing with each other about this, this is one of those issues that just doesn't change. So, what I mean by that is that eights have no desire to turn themselves into twos, nor do twos have any desire to bump it up to an eight. We are all pretty equally comfortable and self-accepting at whatever our level is of comfort. So that means if you meet a wonderful guy, who happens to be a, what are you?
0: Probably a six or seven.
1: Okay, and let's say he's a one. And I I've, just yesterday I was talking to a guy who said he was a one on this area on this continuum of affection. That's is that ever going to work?
0: Having been in a very significant relationship with a one, I can tell you no.
1: Okay, so and it's painful. And again, it didn't. It never needed to happen because in an intentional interview. I could have asked, and I could have been observing. Now I know you're going to have a hard time believing this, but some men lie.
0: No,
1: and and there are a lot of men and women who don't know themselves, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I'm a, I would say I'm average, you know, in that area, or I'm above average, um, because who wants to be below average, right?" But there there are a lot of us who are pandering to the person we're dating because we don't want to be dumped or sidelined, and. So we lie, and we, and we fail to know ourselves. But, but this is not something that gets better over time. And
0: one of the things that, when you talk about your intentional interview, um, another thing I think we need to clarify is that it is not just verbal. Um, for, no, for example, no. the person I was in the relationship with would walk ahead of me when we would go places. He had much longer legs than I did, and he would walk in front of me. And even when I would say... Can you just come back and hold my hand or, you know, and walk with me? walk with me? And and he wouldn't do that. And so even if he had told me, yeah, I'm super affectionate, I mean.
1: Right. That does, his actions say everything. Hey, look, I, you know what I'm, I'm sensing is that there's a lot more for us to talk about on this topic of the list and a lot more thinking that that needs to be done. So could we get together another time and continue this?
0: I would like that. I I was thinking this is something we could wrap up quickly, but um, obviously I I am mistaken. So,
1: (laughs) We'll get together and do this again. That
0: sounds great. And again, obviously we have a lot of things to discuss, but if there's something specific that you'd like to hear, please tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie. This has been a production by Ing Intellectual in cooperation with Estepona Group. Interview by Jackie Shelton. Music produced by Octophonics. Editing by Lucas Picelli. To listen to more episodes, visit stephenng.com.